Good morning, everybody. I'm so excited that you're here today. First of all, I want to say uh, what a great week we had in Vacation Bible School. Uh, so let's give it up to Denise and all the volunteers that uh, worked so hard. Um, on top of uh, the great week we had with the kids, we also were able to raise over $3,000 for our camp. And that's great news. Let's give a hand for, for that. And uh, we had a whole group that was at the camp this past week. Lance and his crew. Lance is back over here with us. Thank you. Did we, we had six, what? Six baptisms at camp this past week. Amen. Amen. So what a great week uh, we had last week. Now today, we're starting this new series called What If? Now, you know, we're living in a time when many people are confused about truth. People talk about your truth and my truth. And there are many voices in our culture that can create doubt in our minds about faith and about what we believe to be true. Many of the foundational beliefs we as Christians hold to are being questioned and challenged. In fact, I, I just read an article this week that said that many Christians are putting away those old traditional values and beliefs. The purpose of this series is to remind us of some of those foundational beliefs that we hold and to consider the consequences if those beliefs are true because we need to know some doubt whether Jesus is the only way to God. Others question the existence of the devil. Some question if heaven or hell are even real. Still others doubt that one day we're going to be judged. Finally, many question whether the Bible truly is the word of God. But what if those people are wrong? What are the consequences of getting those foundational beliefs incorrect. I mean, we invite you to come each week this month as we answer those questions. And today we're going to focus on the first question. What if Jesus is the only way to heaven? Now, I, I think uh, many of you have traveled. Have any of you ever driven over to Buxton? out on the coast. Anybody ever gone over there? Now, according to the map, I think we have a map here. Um, you can see Buxton sort of down there at the bottom. Now, how many roads go to Buxton? One. One road. Now, you can take a boat over there, but if you're driving, there's only one way in and one way out. How many of you ever been to Alaska? Anybody ever been to Alaska? Any, anybody ever been to a place called Whittier, Alaska? You, wow, woohoo! Now, if you look at this map to Whittier, Alaska, I think we can pull it up. Is it there? Oh, there it goes. Okay. Um, you might not be able to see it clearly, but there's a, there's a road that goes into Whittier, and that's the only road that goes into Whittier. Now, you can probably fly in. You can take a boat in, but if you're driving, there's only one way in, one way out. Now, if I was to tell you, oh, there are many ways to get to Buxton or Whittier, 
Now, would that be really true? Yeah, I mean, again, by boat. But if you were to say there are many roads that get to Buxton or Whittier, it wouldn't be true. And you might take, a, again, a lot of roads to get to the final road that will get you there, but there's only one road in and one road out. Now, the world we live in is filled with many different religions and belief systems. And there are people out there that will tell you, oh, there are many paths to the top of the mountain, many ways that you can get to God, uh, that there are many religions that are of equal validity. But friends, what if Jesus is true, that he is the only way to heaven? What if he's not just one of the many options, but the only option? What difference would that make in our lives? And I'm here to tell you and to assert to you today, and this is the big idea of our message, Jesus is our only way to heaven. And in fact, I'm not just saying that on my own. Jesus said that himself. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the what? And the what? And the what? No one comes to the Father except through who? Me. So if you want to ask about what is truth, Jesus said, I am truth. And so let's think about this. First of all, Jesus claimed to be the only way to God and, in essence, to heaven. Um, and Jesus did not leave any room for doubt or compromise here. He did not say uh, that he was one of the many ways to get to God, right? He didn't say, oh, you, you can take many routes to God. What did he say? Come on, what did he say? I'm the only way to the Father. When we hear such a claim, and now I'm going to steal from some much wiser people than me. When we hear such a claim, we have to draw one of three conclusions. Jesus could have been a lunatic, right? If, if he claimed I'm the only way to God. I'm the son of God. I am God. But he isn't. And he really believed that he is. What would that make him? It would make him crazy as a loon, right? And we've seen crazy people before. And people that claim to be Messiah before and after him. So if Jesus believed he was, but really isn't, then he is a lunatic and he would be a false messiah. Now let me ask you something. Knowing what you know about Jesus based on the New Testament teaching about Jesus, do you believe he was crazy? No. no. Well, if you don't believe he was crazy, there's still two other options. He could have been a liar right? If he claimed that he was the son of God, the only way to get to God, 
But he knew that he wasn't the Son of God or the only way to get to God. Then what does that make him? All right. He's deceiving people. And he would be a false Messiah. And there's been plenty of people before and after Jesus that were just deceiving people. They did it for their own enrichment. They were wanting power and glory and possibly financial, you know, uh, reasons for doing this. But do you believe, knowing what you know about Jesus, that he was a liar? No. So that means there's only one other option. If I don't believe he's a lunatic and I don't believe he's a liar, then I have to accept that he is Lord because that's the only other option. He isn't a lunatic. He isn't deceiving us. He truly is the Lord. This means he made the claim that he is the Son of God, that he is God, that he's the only way to get to the Father, and he believed that claim, and he truly is who he said he is. If Jesus is the only way to heaven, then it means that all the other paths that people are going to try to lead you down are leading you to eternal separation from God. That's what's at stake. But what did Jesus say? No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is so important in this culture for us to understand. Some people are going to be upset if we say that it's absolutely necessary for one to be in relationship with Jesus to go to heaven. Now, they're going to be upset. But does the fact that their feelings are hurt change the truth? This is what's wrong with our culture. We go with feelings. We don't go about truth. Well, my feelings tell me that can't be true. Does that matter? No. Truth is truth. Now, these questions follow. What about a good Buddhist? What about a good Muslim? What about a person who is just a good person? person. Why is Jesus the only way? So friends, we have to understand the problem of sin to understand why Jesus is the only way. Now, this is another word that our culture doesn't like to talk about. Y'all know that. E even some popular preachers refuse to use this three-letter S word in their sermons. But friends, sin is the main reason we need Jesus. If people don't understand sin, they're not going to understand their desperate need for Jesus. And the Bible teaches that sin is disobedience to God. The Bible does not differentiate between big sins and little sins. We may, but God doesn't. Whenever I choose to do my will over God's will, that is sin. Whenever I tell God no to his spirit's urging, that is sin. Now, many verses in scripture teach us this fundamental truth, but there's one verse that sort of says it all. What are the results of sin? Romans 6, 25. Most of you know it. For the wages of sin is what? Yeah. But the gift of God is what? Eternal. Eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have eternal life apart from Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we think about wages, the wages of sin. A wage is something I earn. Now I can't earn a relationship with Jesus. I can't earn heaven. But I can certainly earn the wages of sin. So what I earn as a result of my disobedience to God is this word death. Now who knows what death means? It means separation, right? You all get that. Death is separation. If I think about my physical death, uh, I'm thinking about how my soul is separated from this physical body. That's what happens when we die. Our soul, this body is a tent. And praise God, we're going to get new ones when we get to heaven, right? But this body is a tent. So separation, the first death, separation. But it can also mean separation from God. When I choose to sin or disobey God, I am choosing to be separated from God. And most of you know that there are how many deaths according to Scripture? Two deaths. All people will experience the first death, the soul being separated from the body, unless Jesus comes back first. The first death is going to happen. It's a part of, we could say, life, you know. It's a part of the experience that we have. Um, our bodies will stop working one day. This body was never meant to last eternally. Our bodies give out. And sometimes they are taken out for some reason. In fact, we could say that all death, in a way, is a result of sin. In the beginning, when Adam and Eve sinned by disobeying God, they opened the door for physical death to enter the world. Now, I'm not saying that so-and-so died because they committed sin. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that death itself is here because of that original sin. But there is a second death. Again, most of us are going to experience the first one, but that's not so bad as long as we're ready. But the second death is what we want to all avoid, right? In Revelation 21.8, we read, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So the result of that choice to disobey God is to be separated from God for eternity. If I choose to be separated from God here and now today, that's going to be a choice that's going to last throughout eternity unless I make another choice. That is the second death. And while we may all experience the first death, again, none of us wish to experience the second. And that is why, my friends, that Jesus is so important. He came so that we don't have to experience the second death. You see, God made provision 
to pay for that sin, for that disobedience. If the penalty for sin is death, in essence, to be separated from God, how could any of us be saved? I mean, because all of us have sinned, right? There's not one person in the room today that has not committed sin. And so in the record of our life, that sin is there. But Jesus came to change that. In Colossians 1, beginning in verse 13, we read, For he, that is Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And jumping down to verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his what? Blood shed on the cross. Don't miss this point. If somebody doesn't understand why Jesus is the only way, this is the reason. Because he's the only one who died for our sins. He's the only one that could offer us redemption for those sins that will separate us from God. And that's why Peter said in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He didn't say there are many ways to heaven. He said there's no other name given by which we must be saved. Jesus and the disciples all taught that he was the only way to heaven. But you know, it, it, just was, it wasn't just talk. His claim was proven by one event in history. And I think it's important for us to understand this, to understand why he is the only way. Jesus' resurrection proves his claim. It wasn't just an empty assertion. He backed it up by coming back to life after he was killed on a cross. He died on that cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That's why he died on the cross, to pay this penalty that we couldn't pay ourselves. And he rose from the dead to prove that he is the Son of God and the only way to heaven. His resurrection is the ultimate proof of his claims. If Jesus is the only way to heaven, then it means that his resurrection is the most important event in human history. The resurrection is the central event of the Christian faith. Now, we put a lot of time and effort into Christmas and Jesus' birth, but friends, it's the resurrection that all of the early Christians look to. You still have people who will try to claim that the assertion of his resurrection isn't true. And that always amazes me that uh, we are more than willing to believe in 
other historical figures and what history tells us about them, you know, ancient times like Caesar and stuff that happened and the materials that we have of them all written and copied. We, we have none of the original documents for Caesar's books. You, you know that? Uh, we, they're all copies that were found later, just like the Bible, which we'll be talking about later. But when it comes to Jesus, some people are reticent to believe in what those who witnessed him have to say. So I want us to talk about this just for a few minutes this morning. There's no question, well, I take that back. There are some people that still question this, but the majority of historians uh, would agree that Jesus lived and most of them would say that he was crucified on the cross. Not only did the biblical authors record this, but other historians at the time recorded this. The overwhelming historical evidence is that Jesus lived and died. But the question has to do with his resurrection. The resurrection is the key to everything. All religious leaders have lived and died. Muhammad lived and died. Buddha lived and died. But none of them except Jesus rose from the grave. And the evidence of his resurrection is before us. First of all, his disciples went to their graves believing that Jesus rose from his grave. If they knew that it wasn't true, let, let's say they're out there and they're telling people, yeah, Jesus rose from the grave. And then they're saying to each other, man, we got them fooled. Do you think that they would go to their graves, that they would be tortured and put to death for a lie? I just don't believe it. Why would they die a martyr's death for a cause based on a lie? The resurrection was the focal point of their teaching. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5, Paul writes this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Now that was the gospel that Paul preached. That was the faith that the early church believed in. No matter what more current preachers or teachers may say, as we look back in history and they began to waffle on this idea, that was the core of the New Testament teaching. The eyewitness accounts are too numerous to dismiss. He appeared to many people after he rose from the grave. The empty tomb really didn't mean anything. Somebody could have gone in there and stolen his body. But the fact that he appeared for 40 days later, not just for a moment, but on several occasions, and those appearances convinced people that Jesus had risen from the grave. Let's look back in 1 Corinthians 15. Go down to verse 6. After that, he appeared 
to how many people? More than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, that's Jesus' brother James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So Jesus appeared to many, even unbelievers. You get that? He appeared to James. Now, his brother did not believe in him as the Son of God, until after he appeared to him. And he appeared to Saul, who was at that moment on his way to Damascus to throw Christians in prison, and Jesus appeared to him. This is beyond the possibility of hallucinations. See, there are some people that want to say, oh, you know, they were all just hallucinating. Well, that would be some hallucination for over 500 people to see it over a period of 40 days, right? That is not a hallucination. This is beyond the possibility of his disciples stealing his body because even if they had stolen his body, how in the world would he have been walking around talking to people? So think about the impact of Jesus' life and resurrection upon, uh, uh, on the world. I mean, the history of the world has been changed. N.T. Wright, the theologian, in his book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, wrote this. We may insist, in fact, that whatever else had happened, if the body of Jesus of Nazareth had remained in the tomb, there would have been no early Christian belief of the sort we have discovered. It will not do to suggest, for instance, that because the disciples lived in a world where resurrection was expected, this will explain why they use that language of Jesus. Many Jewish leaders, heroes and would-be messiahs, died within the same world, but in no case did anyone suggest that they had been raised from the dead. One might imagine other kinds of early faith which could have been generated by events, which did not involve an empty tomb. But the specific faith of the earliest Christians could not have been generated by a set of circumstances in which an empty tomb did not play a part. I therefore regard the empty tomb as a necessary condition for the rise of the very specific early Christian belief. It just wouldn't have happened without the resurrection. Josh McDowell says the resurrection is either the greatest hoax or the greatest historical event that ever happened. All you have to do to explain away the resurrection or all you have to do to explain away is to explain away the resurrection and you can destroy the argument for Christianity. If you, can, if you don't believe in the resurrection... There's no way you can be a Christ follower. It just can't happen. Others have been raised from the dead. I mean, in the Bible, we read about Jesus raising people from the dead. But you know what the difference is? Every one of those who were raised from the dead would later die again. Every one of them. Jesus is the only one who was raised by his own power. And if Jesus rose from the grave as his followers testified that he did, then there is an urgency in believing in and following Jesus. 
If Jesus is the only way to heaven, then it means that believing in him is of utmost importance. We cannot afford to be casual or indifferent about our faith. And it also means that there are maybe all these roads people will direct you to, but they are false. They may be saying, oh, there's many roads to get to the top of the mountain. It's baloney. They're not going to lead you where you think they're going to go. The truth is that there are many roads to hell and one road to heaven. And we can't afford to take the wrong road. In Matthew 7, 13 through 14, this won't be up on the screen. I just did this earlier this morning, sorry. Um, but it says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road. See, he didn't say roads. Narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Friends, we cannot afford to put off our decision to follow Jesus. We must believe in him now while there is still time. We must teach this truth to our children before it's too late and before our world so corrupts their minds that they don't believe in Jesus anymore. If we reject Jesus, we are rejecting the only way to heaven and choosing eternal separation from God. How urgent should we be? Why should we be urgent? Well, friends, the truth is we don't know the day or the hour our life will end. We don't know the day or the hour when Jesus will return. So the urgency is that at any moment, we may, it may be our last moment. And yesterday I did a funeral for someone who died in an automobile accident. Seems like he was traveling possibly uh, from Charlotte. Witnesses say they saw his truck just sort of slowly veer off the road on the interstate going about 80 miles an hour and then they saw it jerk quickly and the truck flipped over and flipped over and flipped over and he died. Looks like he fell asleep at the wheel. How, how many of you have ever fallen asleep at the wheel? Anybody here? I know I, know I have. It's a scary feeling. It could have happened to any of us. And it happened so fast. Okay. We didn't see it coming when we got in that vehicle. We might not have gotten in the vehicle at the time if we did see it coming, but there was probably no thought that that would be my friend's last ride. But it was. He's a great guy. And I, I truly hope he knew Jesus. Once this life is over, we don't have an opportunity again to make that choice. And the truth is, none of us will know when that last ride will be. 
Pastor Tim Wilson shared this story. Sitting on the hardwood, uh, hard wooden bleachers of Fort Benning while attending the United States Army Airborne School, we prepared for our first parachute jump. How many people in here have jumped out of a perfectly good airplane? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. Okay, there are some people that we might question your sanity. Um, but he said uh, soon we would soar hundreds of feet above the red Georgia clay and hear the jump master bark out orders, stand up, hook up, check equipment, stand in the door, go, 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 right? Yep. Does that bring back some PSD for any of us? Uh, understandably, the instructors had our undivided attention. The airborne sergeant's voice rang out confidently as he explained what to do in case of a parachute malfunction. Now, this is where we would really be listening closely, right? He said, if your main parachute should fail to deploy, don't panic. Pull the handle of your auxiliary parachute. Should your auxiliary parachute fail to fill with air, don't panic. Sure. Pull it towards your body and then vigorously throw it away from yourself. Should your auxiliary chute again fail to deploy, don't panic. Vigorously repeat this process. And then he paused dramatically, looking intently into her eyes. Then with a slight mischievous grin, he slowly stated, should this also fail, don't panic. You'll have the rest of your life to get your parachute deployed. <laughs> and our friends, our, our, our culture is rapidly falling without a parachute that works. We're falling into an abyss of faith, faithlessness and destruction. Paul warned the Philippians about the destruction coming to the world, Philippians 3. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there whose name is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. There's an urgency that we get this right, that we get right with God, but also that we do what we can to help others get right with God. A Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, told this parable. He said there was a crowded theater hosted uh, a variety show with various acts in it. And each act was more fantastic than the one prior. So it created louder and louder applause from the audience. 
And suddenly a clown rushed on the stage and said, I apologize for this interruption, but I regret to inform you that our theater is on fire. You need to leave right away and in an orderly fashion. But the audience thought he was part of the act. And so they laughed and they applauded. And they thought he was very committed to the role. But the clown again implored them that they needed to leave right away or they would get seriously injured or maybe even die. And again, they greeted him with loud and thunderous applause. At last, he couldn't do it anymore. And so he left the building and the rest of the people were destroyed. And Kierkegaard concludes in this sobering way, our age will go down in fiery destruction not to the sound of mourning, but to the applause and cheering. And friends, I see it in our culture. The house is on fire. And godly people are shouting the warning, but most people aren't listening. Followers of Jesus, you are passionately to cry out to people to hear. You can't make them believe. If they refuse, it's on them. But we've got to do it. So many people are headed in the wrong direction. They're listening to the wrong people. They're focused on the wrong things. They're going down the wrong road and they're celebrating the world and they're rejecting Jesus. Friends, There are not many ways to heaven. There are not many roads that lead to the God. There is only one way, and that way is through Jesus Christ. And again, there may be many roads that lead to destruction, but there's only one road that leads to eternal life. And since Jesus is the only way to heaven, then friends, it means that believing in him and following him is of utmost importance. So let's put our faith in Jesus. Let's follow him with all our heart. Let's share his message with others so that they too may come to know him and have eternal life. Father, we come to you this morning. Many today are confused. Even Christians are buying into this idea that it doesn't really matter what what or who you believe in. You don't really have to believe in Jesus to be saved. But your word could not be clearer. Jesus is the only way. And so, Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to save us. He did not come to condemn us. He came to save us. And he is the only one who could pay the price for our sin. He lived a perfect life without sin, so he was the perfect sacrifice. And Father, we are humbled by your grace and mercy because you knew that we're sinners. We we don't deserve this. We didn't earn this. May we share our faith with those around us and not conform to the pattern of this world. Lord, we pray for those who uh, you have brought into our lives. We pray. We pray that we might be able to share our faith with them. 
And, and Father, I pray for people that are bought into the lies of this world. They've been duped to reject Jesus. And we pray that their eyes might be opened and they might come to Christ before it is too late. And if there is someone here today who has not accepted Christ, or they've just been playing church and it's not been real to them. I pray your spirit would prompt them to make that decision. And I pray in faith that they would repent of their sins. That they would confess that belief in Christ and be baptized into him and seek him for the rest of their lives. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.